You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Native and exotic plants look beautiful in our gardens. They provide habitat and abundant food for critters large and small, particularly when they've got a lot of flowers, fruits and seeds. But those seeds and other plant parts that help weed spread can travel astounding distances to places we never dreamt when we first bought that beautiful seedling in the first place. What if there was a way to identify the weed potentiality of a given plant while you're at the nursery so that you can make an informed choice about the types of plants you'd like in your garden and you aren't contributing to the spread of invasive weeds? Today's guest is Amy Freemanis the Program Manager for the Grant-Funded Gardening Responsibly Initiative, which is designed to empower growers and consumers to make better plant choices with lower weed potentiality. It's sponsored by the Australian Institute of Horticulture because I met Amy a couple of months ago at the annual AIH Conference and Awards Night and we're both passionate about the organisation. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you, Daniel. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. It was really nice to meet you a couple of weeks ago at the Australian Institute of Horticulture Awards Night and the uh, and the day event they had there too. Likewise, yeah, that was a really good event, a lovely crowd of people and really interesting uh, presentations. Lots of energy too. Definitely. Not the least brought by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amy, why are weeds such a problem in Australia? Well, um, Australia is an island, as you know, and um, unfortunately, as um, people arrive on the island, a lot of the time they like to bring things from home with them. So, um, and that could be plants or animals, and a lot of those things um, can either survive, can actually survive and thrive in Australia and take off, and some of those sorts of things can become quite problematic um, and invasive in Australia. So um, what we've got is actually this um, couple of hundred-year-old legacy of introduced um, plants and animals and um, particularly with our gardens, um, unfortunately a lot of garden plants that have come to Australia from around the world um, have actually jumped the garden fence and become problematic um, in our natural bushland areas, wetlands, parks and reserves. Hmm. Absolutely. It's not good. So I think everyone listening to this probably knows that, but I think it's really good to start with the basics so that we can build a foundation of why we need this Gardening Responsibly logo on our plants. Absolutely. I mean, Australia has got this unique flora and fauna that we want to protect. Um, It's so biodiverse in Australia. We've got um, some of the most incredible beautiful plants in their own right Um, and in in fact I live in Sydney and just in my local council area uh, I think there's about 12 different endangered ecological communities so there's blue gum high forest there's sort of heathland there's turpentine ironbark forest there's riparian areas and all these um, different vegetation communities have got unique um, plants in them and we want to protect those. Um, Actually, next door to my place is some Aboriginal land um, that has quite a few threatened um, plants plants there and uh, it's amazing. It's actually got um, a cave with a 
a painting of a tall ship in there. So um, mm. this vegetation type that's next door to me is so unique and, and precious for cultural reasons, for um, amenity, but also for biodiversity. And um, and I, I'm like you, Daniel, I like to actually start at the beginning and say, well, what, well why, why do we care about biodiversity? And for me, um, I, I've got a medical background. Um, for me, it's about future medicines because a lot of our medicines come from nature. They come from plants and the relationships between plants and fungi. Um, and I want to protect that integrity so that my grandchildren will have also access to, to future medicines, you know, to treat um, diseases. So a, a great example um, of why we need to protect threatened species for medicines is um, if you've ever been to Sydney Olympic Park, um, the green and golden bell frog is an endangered frog. And there's this amazing million-dollar um, bridge that's been built over a brick pit. And you walk around the brick pit and think, oh, that's a bit ugly. You know, what's well, why would we want to protect that? Well, because there's little swampy bits in that brick pit that are home to uh, green and golden bell frogs. And while some people go, yep, I want to protect all plants and animals, other people might think, oh, why are we protecting a frog? That frog has been found to show properties in its skin that can treat multi-drug resistant bacteria. So that's like golden staph infection. And if you've, um, if you've had an elderly relative, you might know that um, golden staph is like an antibody um, resistant infection, very common in hospitals. And, um, and so to find this, you know, natural, that's what I mean. There's all these natural um, defences in nature <laughs> um, that mm. we can harness to help protect human health um, and well-being. Um, but not just that. That's not the only reason to protect biodiversity, apart from it being beautiful and inspiring and um, and our identity and cultural values. It also helps if you keep systems intact to um, provide food, water, um, shade, all these sort of things that we need for survival. So um, for me, it's really important to do whatever we can to protect that natural diversity in nature and, and particularly um, with our plants. We want to we keep that diversity because, you know, we might want some of those plants in our gardens too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Look, my parents, they have a cattle farm up in Queensland, up in the Mullaney Hills. And they back onto a national park and the whole national park is completely riddled with lantana. It's just completely taken over. And it, you just sort of sit there looking at it and wondering, what have we lost? Because no one knows what was in there, probably. No one really knows what was in there before. No one really is going and checking on it now. So it's just like, it's really sad to think about that. It really is sad, and I guess that's the thing with lantana. I mean, it was introduced as a garden plant and it forms sort of thick hedges and, and thickets, but that very sort of habit of the plant means that it smothers um, and takes over other vegetation types. So it's so mm. thick. Anyone that knows lantana has tried to get rid of it. It's so scratchy and, it, and dense and... Um, and so it affects the light, the soil chemistry, um, as well as being a physical barrier to other um, plants getting through. Um, and once you get that monoculture, that's right, you start losing diversity, losing habitat, 
um, losing the uniqueness um, of our Australian landscapes. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's really hard to control. Um, obviously, you start having to use quite a lot of herbicides and chemicals um, and also just physically get in there to, to remove it. And once, you know, this is what we say, once uh, an invasive weed escapes, it's too late. It just can mm-hmm. start covering hectares and hectares and hectares. And to actually control that costs billions of dollars. So um, mm-hmm. weed removal in Australia, just getting rid of weeds is, was estimated to be costing Australians $4 billion a year. But the actual flow-on economic costs of um, invasive species um, is is way more than that, $13 billion. And I think there's been a study to show the impact or the cost of um, invasive plants in Australia since European colonisation is, is in the hundreds of billions of dollars. So, um, yeah, really time-consuming, unpleasant, um, technically difficult to remove plants once once they escape it, it can be done and I and I must acknowledge my lovely husband uh, who is a bush regenerator and I suppose that's where I get my interest in having beautiful gardens appreciating plants but also appreciating our natural bushland areas um, and what he does is he he does um, a special technique to actually remove the weeds but Luckily, there's resilience um, often in the soil. There's a seed bank and um, through restoration, um, you can actually encourage the plants to come back. But it does take time. It costs money and and, and effort. So, you know, we want to prevent invasive species escaping in the first place. That's our best bang for buck. Precisely. We we can manage some areas, but we cannot manage all of Australia. Like that is completely impossible. That's right. It's unfortunately it's a continuing problem and it's growing exponentially. Um, the six most common invasive weeds, so things like uh, lantana, blackberry, privet, um, all of those sorts of woody weeds, um, they already cover an area equivalent to three times the size of Tasmania. It's a huge land area. Um, and we've actually just had a report from CSIRO that every 18 days a new plant is naturalising. So just because it naturalises, that means it can start forming self-sustaining populations, doesn't necessarily mean it's invasive, but it does show you that we're not in a static landscape. We're in this ever-evolving, changing landscape and the, the propagule pressure of um, exotic plants and, and you can have native plants become invasive as well, um, yeah, is really having an impact on our landscapes and the problem potentially will be getting worse, um, particularly with climate change. We're seeing huge changes in um, rainfall and, um, and temperature and um, unfortunately those sorts of conditions um, help invasive plants to thrive. Absolutely. So can you tell us what a sleeper weed is? So essentially um, a sleeper weed is a plant that's sitting in its environment and it's, um, it will, it, it's got the potential to emerge as an invasive plant. And we don't know the ex- actual date when, but um, there will be characteristics to show that um, it's got the traits of an invasive plant. Um, and essentially... Um, if you think about it, 
in Australia, there's more than 30,000 different varieties of garden plants, and we don't know which ones of those have the potential to become invasive um, in future. But if we know that pretty much it happens every 18 days, (laughs) um, Hmm. there's a lot of potential um, there for massive changes to our landscape and particularly the costs associated with controlling um, those plants once they do emerge. Absolutely. I'll never forget one property that I worked at. So it was on the Yarra River and, you know, which goes, for, it cover, that, that waterway covers a lot of Victoria. And yeah. there, there was euphorbias sitting on this riverbank with little seedlings sitting underneath them. And I was just thinking, like, how far are these seeds going? Like, all it has to do is drop into that river, and then how far will they go? That's right. That that's actually a really good observation, Daniel, because um, plants move. Like, you think a plant's still, but they're moving all the time. And um, those dispersal mechanisms are obviously one of the predicting invasive risk factors. Um, whether it's dispersed by water, like you were saying, or by wind. Um, It means that the plants can travel far and particularly those plants with berries. Um, If a bird eats the berry and then the bird flies far, we know that a lot of birds fly hundreds of kilometres, they can really start transferring those plants um, around the landscape. So, okay, so we can look at stuff like, yeah, okay, berries, yeah, they get eaten by birds or, you know, as you say, water dispersal, wind dispersal, or, you know, sometimes it's not even a seed. Sometimes it's just a leaf dropping off a succulent, right? That's right. Yeah, vegetative um, propagation as well um, can spread and, and people will see that. I mean, that can be a real attribute when you're gardening and you're trying to share plants around, but you do <laughs> have to be mindful about, you know, can this one as jump the garden fence? And, and particularly if you're living near uh, bushland or national parks, um, those those precious areas that we want to protect. Um, we don't want um, plants um, dispersing That easily and that quickly. So things like Madeira vine, I think they can drop something like 100,000 tubers and you think about the potential for Mm. spread there. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And and so just that one plant has the potential to really cover huge um, areas of land. Um, and, and so that's where we brought in that concept of gardening responsibly because we know that you can manage these things if you, if you look after your garden and, and you're maintaining and pruning and, and um, cutting seed heads off and those sorts of things, that's okay. But not everyone's um, that good a gardener <laughs> um, with that much time and capacity no. and skill to um, control their garden and keep it within their landscape. So one of the things that we've done with Gardening Responsibly is essentially um, create this new website where all that scientific information is accessible to everybody and it's shared between um, horticulturists uh, that are are expert. They might have commercial and confidence confidence, um, knowledge about particular plant cultivars and varieties um, and the government agencies know a lot about our natural landscapes um, and are, are um, responsible for regulation around weeds and so our research portal is a platform that's um, able to be shared transparent and trusted um, by everyone to try and grow our knowledge about plants I mean the botanical 
uh, information about plants is is incredible. It's um, very important to understand the actual species that you're talking about. And quite commonly, um, we, we usually refer to plants by their genus name. So even things like um, jasmine. And, and when you're talking about a genus, you can't be sure. So I was talking to my friends um, at the shops and saying, yeah, you've got to be careful with jasmine. Um, and they were really worried they because they had this beautiful um, hedge in their backyard or like a, a climber along a wall. But they're talking about, um, if you have a look on our website, you'll see that there's um, jasminum polyanthum, I think, um, as well as um, the star jasmine, which is actually, and they have totally different invasive risk factors. So before I go into those jasmine plants, I might just explain to you um, what Macquarie University's research has uncovered. It's actually groundbreaking. It's um, one of the first... um, in the world, um, it's actually a research tool based on 57 internationally rec- recognised uh, risk assessment matrix matrices, and um, it's actually all about um, identifying that. I guess those future sleeper weeds. How do we know which ones um, might be really risky to our environment um, so that we can make better decisions around choosing what plants to put in our gardens? So invasive risk factors developed by Macquarie University um, are sort of, there's three categories of them, I guess, Um, and you can find out more by having a look on our website, gardeningresponsibly.org.au, but essentially it includes three things. And one is um, anything, all those reproductive strategies that involve long-distance dispersal. So we were already talking about that, Um, like berries spread long distances by birds or seeds that can be spread by wind or water and and also that um, reproductive produce vegetatively Um, and remember the Madeira vine too if it produces copious viable seed or propagules then it does have this real potential to become invasive but it's not just those uh, reproductive strategies it's actually got to show consequences of invasion on people plants and animals so um, so that's this is a new definition. Like a weed, if we're just talking about weeds, a weed is a human concept. It's just mm. this plant's in the wrong place. I don't want this plant here and I'm going to call it a weed. Um, but an invasive weed essentially has that impact on people, plants and animals. It's causing trouble. So it either is a risk to human or animal health. Um, it can have a, a negative impact on threatened species. So we know things like lantana um, is actually impinging on, on the habitat of hundreds of threatened, threatened species. Um, but also um, it can actually alter natural fire regimes. And that's one thing about um, gamba grass, which has escaped in the northern part of Australia. And it's a huge, tall, tall grass. And you can imagine um, big, tall grasses, northern Australia, very, Mm -hmm. very very hot fires so it's really changing the landscape so these that's what we're interested in preventing at gardening responsible we're trying to we're not so worried about grandma's garden bed weeds or a little plant here or there we're actually trying to prevent future 
landscape scale invasive weeds, things that just transform our landscapes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there was that's two. Um, two of the in- factors of invasiveness. One is about the reproductive strategies and long-distance dispersal. One is about the consequences of invasion on people, plants and animals. But a lot of our garden plants and our invasive plants have come over, from overseas. So the third um, sort of group of factors that influence whether a plant's invasive or not um, is the plant establishment and invasion history. So you can actually look at plants and see if they've become invasive overseas. Um, You can also, we've got a special tool um, that Macquarie University have developed for us, which is a climate matching tool. So we can actually look and see if plants have already naturalised in a similar climate to where you're introducing them to. Um, or if it's already naturalised in Australia. So um, these sorts of, these factors all together, um, in our research tool, we ask all these questions about is there evidence of any of these factors? And to categorise a plant as having a higher invasive risk, the plant needs to show evidence of multiple factors of invasiveness. It's not just one thing. So this is sort of a game changer for horticulturists because even experts are surprised by our research because Mm. we sort of make a judgment about a plant whether it's good or bad just on our experience you know um, most of the time and as I said or just on the genus but when you actually are looking for evidence um, of these factors and and you're calculating the risk um, yeah it, it can be really surprising um, so you might, yeah, you might be surprised that a plant that you you think's okay um, actually has a very high invasive risk. Um, and so what we're encouraging with gardening responsibly is if you can, maybe swap that plant out and try and use a lower invasive risk plant because there's so much choice. Um, there's all sorts of beautiful plants you can choose from, but uh, hopefully our database makes it easier um, for everyone uh, to garden responsibly. Fantastic, Amy. There will be a link in the show notes and then people will be asked questions and to to help determine whether that plant is invasive. Is that right? Yeah, we've got, um, because we know there's a whole spectrum of gardeners in Australia, um, I think we think there's something like 11 million gardeners in Australia and some of those gardeners might be beginners. <laughs> They're the sorts of people you've got to remind them, hey, take the plastic pot off before you put it in the soil. <laughs> um, plant it green side up um, to, you know, the head scientists at the Botanic Garden. So there's people with this range of knowledge and experience around gardening. So what we've done is on our main website, that's consumer facing, and we've just made it easy by making um, a plant search um, you can just go straight on to Gardening Responsibly and there's a header that says check your choice. And if you look for a plant there, um, you'll see that we're promoting all the low-risk plants that we've already risk assessed. So we know these ones are great. They're a low invasive risk. There's all sorts of plants there. You can search by growth habit. So you can search for a cycad or a fern or a tree or a shrub or a succulent. And you should be able to find at least one low invasive risk option there. Um, but it's early days of our project, so we've actually only risk assessed 704 of the more than 30,000 varieties of plants in trade. 
Um, so we want gardeners and horticulturists to help us grow our knowledge and, and recommend which, which plants are you interested in and we'll, do, um, a, we'll get our scientists to do a risk assessment on them. Um, if you're more technical, we really encourage you to go into our research portal. And um, you can do that by just creating a free login to the portal and you can actually search through um, and find much more detailed information. You can actually look at the full risk assessment, which is 25 questions, um, which will tell you all the history of the plant and all those factors of invasiveness. Um, but we've got a nice, easy colour code. So, again, you might find um, that the plant you like has either a low, medium or high risk, um, and that's a green, yellow or orange colour category. Um, and you can make the decision yourself whether, okay, no, I think I can manage it. So, for example, you might be looking up a plant that has a high risk, but you're going to keep it indoors. So it's not going to have a chance to get out and spread in the environment. So that's okay. Um, so we really wanted that research portal there to give um, people a little bit more flexibility and particularly to share that um, scientific evidence-based information um, to help you um, make informed decisions about choosing plants for your garden, but also just to grow our knowledge, um, particularly for anyone selling or trading plants in Australia. It's a bit of um, it's a bit like product stewardship. You've sort of got to know what you're selling and what that impact is on the environment. So we want to grow that science um, for everyone, all every gardener in Australia, and and all our land managers as well. Fantastic. So what can growers and retail nurseries do to get involved, Amy? We would love to invite every grow, every wholesale and retail nursery and not just nurseries but actually landscapers and landscape architects and designers to become a supplier of gardening responsibly products. So it's free to sign up. All you have to do is jump on our website and fill in a form, just the business details, and make a pledge that you um, will sell at least one low invasive risk plant, but you'll educate um, your staff and your clients about this issue. Um, and when you do sign up free, uh, all you have to do is um, you can actually jump into our portal and you can upload your stock list or your plant palette and cross-check it to see which ones qualify for the eco-label um, and then we'll promote you and your business um, on our website but also on our social media channels. We're actually on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn um, and so far we've actually, um, some of our media has reached nearly uh, I think more than 10 million people in Australia um, and we've already, we've only launched um, about a month, uh, nearly two months ago, and I think we've had nearly 40,000 people um, have a look on our website. So this is a new concept to most gardeners, most landscapers, most uh, nurseries in Australia. No one's known this information before. It's brand new scientific information. And we want you to jump on and essentially um, start growing that knowledge um, and getting rewarded and recognised for selling really good plants and really good products in Australia. Um, this is sort of a bit of a, um, a expansion of that pie of what's in the market um, this is sort of the first eco label of garden plants so um, we're really excited we know consumers are interested and um, 
yeah, we certainly want to start engaging with all our local councils um, and who put in a lot of um, garden plants as street trees and, and in parks and amenity. And we want to start growing that um, that encouragement to get everyone gardening responsibly and choosing low invasive risk garden plants. Yeah, I would love to live in a world where we have weed potentiality labelled on all plants in nurseries. And I guess it's a similar sort of a thing to like that organic labelling, right? It's just a little um, green logo there and you can see oh this is this is green for weed potentiality or this is red for weed potentiality yeah so what we've done is we know that um labeling is already quite busy um on pots so we've Mm -hmm. just used um something that is called um nudge theory it's pretty obvious to most people if you pick up two products whether it's a plant or a chocolate bar if one has a circle with a tick on it you know that it's better than the other one it's already had (laughs) some sort of certification um choice so ours is just a green circle with a green tick um of a leaf and it's called Certified Gardening Responsibly. So we've just got, um, I just got a message from one of our growers. Um, we've got some um, plants now with the new labels going into Bunnings um, and Flower Power. We've got some independent garden centres. Um, and as I said, some of our wholesale nurseries. All you have to do is have a look on our website to see who's supplying um, and you can start to look for that eco label in store. If you're actually a supplier, we'll give you a free marketing kit because we want to make this, we want to grow this movement to garden responsibly. So for any businesses that are um, are buying, selling or installing um, garden plants or ornamental plants, um, you can actually, if you become a supplier, we'll send you this free marketing kit that's got all these digital assets, um, point of sale assets, so you can promote to your customers and clients that your business is part of this movement. Um, you can either label the plants or you can label your store or you can even just educate your customers about checking their choice. Um, the, all the templates are there ready to go free. Um, it's a real win-win-win. This is actually mm. such a positive um, program because it's good for business, it's good for government, and best of all, it's good for um, gardeners in Australia. Wonderful, Amy. I don't think the consumers have ever been so aware of weed potentiality and, and you know, just environmental concerns in general. And I know businesses are always looking for a way to differentiate themselves in the market. So, to me, this is a real no-brainer for anyone who wants to stand out. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. This is about we know there's all sorts of responsible um, traders out there and we want to recognise and reward them for doing the right thing and keeping up to date with best practice using scientific information, um, you know, to label their products. So, yeah, as I said, I was mentioning before about the jasmine. So there's um, Traculosburnum jasminoides. It's a Chinese star jasmine, but it gets the tick. Um, it's a beautiful climber and um, it's one of our first plants that um, has got the individual label and, and is going into stores soon. But there's a whole range, there's hundreds of plants to choose from. So whenever you're in the nursery, um, wherever you are, you can just jump on the website, even on your mobile phone, and just go to check your choice. Um, and you just you can either type in the start of the name of the plant um, and you can actually check whether it's got the tick or not. So 
Um, but we would really love people to actually join our mailing list, follow us on socials and also contribute to this knowledge. There's opportunity for um, citizen scientists to help us um, risk assess more plants. Um, and obviously we want, um, this has been um, a grant funded program, so we're actually looking for more partners um, that want to partner with us to um, grow this movement and grow this understanding about having both beautiful gardens but also protecting and keeping our Australian natural landscapes really healthy and unique. That's what it's all about, mate. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got two more questions for you, Amy. Okay. We met at an Australian Institute of Horticulture event now you're in the horticulture space, but your background isn't in horticulture. Can you tell us about like why you chose to become a part of the AIH and what you know how it helps you in your professional career? Yeah, Australian Institute of Horticulture are amazing. They're a really lovely bunch of um, professionals. Um, and I think what I like about AIH is that there's a real um, broad inclusion of anyone interested in horticulture, whether it's therapeutic horticulture or sustainability, urban greening, um, gardening, landscaping, or growing or selling plants. I love that um, that you're all in, everyone's included um, in this space, and that AIH are, are seeking out best practice um, mm-hmm. for uh, horticulture sector in Australia. Um, it's really great that, I mean, the trade is national, so it's really great that AIH are a national partner um, and we can have um, share information around Australia about what's be- best practice in horticulture. Mm. I find as well most of the people that turn up to these events, they are dead keen as well. You know, these aren't the the hobbyists or anything. These are people who have dedicated their life to horticulture you, know, oh. you don't often go to one event. Usually it's a, you know, you're seeing the same people there year after year after year. It's a real community and um, mm. that's what I love about it as well. As I said, I'm not personally a horticulturist, but my husband's been a horticulturist and he joined AIH when he was at university. And I'm going to say that's quite a few decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's uh, it's really been wonderful to, um, yeah, join the community and share knowledge. Um, I really I really love that about um, AIH. Mm, it's fantastic. I love it too. For the exact same reasons that you just said, you know, it, it mm. helps, and it helps me connect. Like, yeah, yes, like I like learning. I love learning at the events, mm. like from speakers such as yourself. But I really love connecting with people such as yourself, you know, because because you've helped me create this episode. So I think we all want to help each other in in that community. Well, but most of more than fifty percent of businesses in horticulture are, are like um, very small businesses or sole mm. traders or under um, five employees. So um, having a network that you can connect in and, and troubleshoot um, professional issues around horticulture is so important completely agree so amy there's one final question i always like to ask my guests it doesn't have to be on topic is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about i would love the listeners to tell me about their gardens um, and their favorite plants this is actually a two-way project um, because we're trying to grow knowledge share knowledge but we also want to role model good practice so if if you whether you're yeah a nursery 
a landscaper, a landscape designer, architect or a gardener, we want to see your projects, your gardens. So you can jump on and share that with us on social media or email in and I'd love to come and visit your gardens or look at your designs. Um, And we're here to help you scientifically if you're interested in um, checking your choice Um, You can send us your plant palette and we'll review um, the the plants that you're choosing and and give you some uh, expert advice about whether those plants are low invasive risk. And if they are, we'd be really happy to promote you, your business, um, your site, your products. um, Let us know because we really want to celebrate horticulture. We want to sell more plants. We want more gardens. We want to green the world. (laughs) So uh, let's get together. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Amy, for an awesome episode. Really enjoyed that chat. It was fabulous, Daniel. Thank you for having me. And, uh, yeah, hope to uh, see you in the garden soon. Yeah, I'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) The timescale that invasive weeds play on is impossible for us to understand. Unless we organise a system like the one Amy's championing, our native ecosystems are going to be in a significantly worse state than if we take action now. If you're running a nursery or you work at one and you know your boss would love to get on board, follow the links in the show notes where you'll find more info on how to get that gardening responsibly tick of approval on your labelling. Not only will it help your customers make better plant choices, it's also an excellent way for your business to stand out within the marketplace. Consumers are more environmentally aware than they've ever been before, so you may as well get on board now. You'll also find a link to do your own research on a particular plant's weed potentiality. If you liked this episode, please consider giving us a five-star Apple Podcasts review with a comment, and then check out episode 50, Understanding Weeds, where you'll learn more about different types of weeds and how to deal with them.